So this morning, we're going to continue um, our kind of seasonal journey through the book of Isaiah. Um, but a little tidbit that I read, this has nothing to do with the sermon at all, so I'm going to say it before we read, but I found this really interesting. You might not find it interesting, that's okay, because I wrote the sermon, so I get to say it. Uh, thanks for laughing, Sarah. It makes me... I was listening to a, an Old Testament scholar, and they were talking about the Bible and how interesting it is. And they were talking about the differences and the different types of books. You know, you can't read the Old Testament all the same way. If you started in Genesis all the way to the end of the Old Testament, you're going through different kinds of books. You can't read Genesis the same way you read the Psalms, and you can't read the Psalms the same way you read Isaiah. And he said a really interesting thing about this group of books at the very end of the Bible. We know them as largely as the prophets, but there's like the major prophets, and then there's the minor prophets, and stories like Jonah, uh, the, the story of Jonah and the whale of the big fish that's in the prophet sections. Isaiah is a prophet. I was listening to this scholar, and he says, it's really interesting. Say what you want. Like some people... Um, may have no use for Christianity. But he goes, one of the interesting things about the Old Testament scriptures, specifically the uh, Israelites, is that they are the only um, people group who, in compiling their history and their holy book, included into them a whole section that talks about how they messed up and somebody was telling them how they were messing up and how they needed to improve. They're the only holy book, the only ancient Near Eastern group that include their faults, how they've been rebuked, and how God has restored them. And I'm really glad that they included these things as we've been walking through these uh, these chapter or these verses in Isaiah the last few weeks, I'm reminded how often I'm like Israel. How often God and I have this cycle, right, of uh, God calling me and reminding me to listen and to hear uh, not legalism, do all the right things, but to pursue God's heart. And I am reminded how often I get distracted by shiny things. <laughs> And I go off on my own and I find myself down the road a little bit. And I'm like, oh, that's probably not great. And so as we begin again to talk about Isaiah, I just want to say that it's, it's a good reminder that this is the story of the people of God uh, in this relationship with God. And we can all find ourselves there. Maybe the names and the dates and the experiences are different. Um, but we all have a place in this story. So this morning, we will be reading from Isaiah 49, <clears throat> verses 1 through 7. This is, uh, last week we talked about the servant songs. This is the second servant song. It says, to the servant of the Lord, listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He's made my mouth like a sharpened sword. 
In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and he concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet, what is due me is in the Lord's hand. And my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, so that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says. The Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, to whom was despised and abhorred by nations, the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see you and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. So, Again, because Isaiah is maybe an unfamiliar book, it's good to just continue to remind ourselves of what's happening here. Isaiah is a book written by a prophet, somebody who was tasked by God to speak God's truth to a people, to the nation of Israel. And in this book of Isaiah, we see it divided into, for our sake, we're saying it's divided into two parts. You can actually make it into three For simplicity's sake, we're doing it into two. The first half is Isaiah's warning to Israel. Get your act together. This is all going to turn out badly for you. The second half is after Israel had ignored Isaiah and the other prophets, and things, in fact, did turn out bad for them. Things uh, kind of fell apart. They were carried away. Uh, They were exiled They found themselves being brought back after this exile to this country that had been destroyed. They had no home. They had no center. They had no history, living memory. They were a people just kind of adrift. And Isaiah, in the second half of the book, is reminding them who God is, reminding them who they are, reminding them of their history, reminding them who they are called to be. And so it's the first half tends to be pretty dire. I read a few snippets in our first week, but there are a lot of like, get your act together or you're going to be, you know, burned to the ground, that sort of thing. And in the second half, it's a lot of hope and promise and God's faithfulness. Now, in the second half, uh, right after uh, verse 40, where they make this pivot from a lot of like warnings to hope and God is still faithful, there are a series of four what they call servant songs. And what these are, are these images of what the people of God are to be. 
Some people wonder if their prophecies for Jesus, most scholars think probably not, there's a lot of debate, but what they're saying it is, more than likely when we read these servant songs are an image of who the people of God are. And you can look at Jesus and you can see how Jesus lived and how that looks so similar to this servant living in Isaiah. And you can see Jesus perfectly embodying this. So last week, we read the first one, and this was all about what this servant will be like. We talked about how the servant will be gentle, kind, faithful, just. There's this really beautiful image in the song that says that the servant uh, can be entrusted with a bruised reed, that it will not allow it to be broken. That, that things that are made wrong, that this, this servant will participate in making right. And this scene, this second servant song is actually a little bit of a pivot. So in the first half, we see about the servant. In the second half, it's almost like there's a crowd and the servant is speaking to the crowd. And I went back and forth on how to talk about this What's the best way to walk through this text? And I think the best way to do it is to just walk you through it. It's actually um, a song in four parts, and I'm just going to walk us through the four parts. So today, or this, in this, we see four parts. In the first, we see um, echoes of God's call and God's participation in our life. There's all sorts of references back to older texts. There's a reference to Psalm 139. You created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. To another prophet by the name of Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. To another Psalm, Psalm 50, verse 1. The mighty one, God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to where it sets. There's, this is me speaking, there's this, sometimes this temptation that because we can't put our hands on God like we can our spouse or our sibling, and I don't mean that quite as violently as that sounds, but... Uh, because we can't touch and hug and interact with God as a human being can. It can feel as though God is very distant. It can leave us feeling maybe some questions about whether God is real. Uh, Especially in really dark times, we can find ourselves saying, God, where are you? God, are you even there? In this text, by the prophet Isaiah to a people who are certainly asking these sorts of questions. This servant begins talking about his or her life by talking about how active God is in your life and in mine. We see images full of faithful presence and participation of God. This week, Elizabeth has been at NMI training, which is our district Nazarene Missions International. So we are an international church 
And we, uh, that means we have missionaries all over the world. We do really great work like orphanages and we do all sorts of justice initiatives. And our districts, all of the districts have um, leaders who help local churches like ours participate in this international thing. Well, she's been gone um, suffering in Florida on the beach. She's making sure that she's telling me how terrible it is. Um, but that's meant that this week that I've been home with the kids. And I, I have more than once this week as I've been home um, found myself uh, playing. Levi has primarily been wanting to play Play-Doh. So we'll just get everything out. And we'll play with Play-Doh. And he likes this, like an ice cream cone thing where you push it and it all squirts out the bottom. And I remember just at one point being overwhelmed by presence. By just sitting next to Levi. By, by being with him, doing nothing of importance. That Play-Doh did nothing for my sermon which I have to say I was thinking about while I was doing Plato. I'm like, oh, this thing's still got to get written. Presence. Being next to someone. Love between people. Sharing experiences. Sharing a history. Part of why it's so special to be with in my case, children, but it's not just children. It's with a sibling or it's with a parent or it's with a niece or a nephew or a longtime friend. Part of the reason why that's so special is because of time spent before that with them. You know each other. You know all of the good things, know all of the bad things, all of the ways that you're really wonderful and some of the ways that you're not. Elizabeth has never found any ways that I'm not wonderful. Of course. Hey. The image of Isaiah here, talking with the servant about God being present, knowing us from the day of our formation, is a reminder that God knows us entirely. That God is not surprised by the worst parts of you. God is not overly impressed by the best parts of you, but that God's love is with you in all of it. And the servant, as he's processing this, moves on to this really interesting experience. He moves from the first part to the second. How the second, the servant fails to live up to her or his call. So this servant has been made in the image of God for a purpose. And then the servant talks about how they are spinning their wheels and wasting time. Another point they make is saying, I have labored in vain. At another point they say, all I have done, this is so sad. All I have done, I spent for nothing in vanity. I think we all know this feeling too. For a moment, I'm going to limit it to the spiritual life, but it's not just limited to the spiritual life. I think we all know this feeling of having purpose, feeling like we're called to do something, and then having life go in a certain direction that it all just kind of, 
either begins to stall, like the wheels are spinning in a bunch of mud, or things unravel, leaving us holding what used to be a sweater and now it's just a pile of yarn. Moments when things seem to be conspiring against us. The servant in this moment is really powerful because the servant is kind of reconciling these two experiences together. God formed me. God knows me completely. And my life has not turned out like I wanted it to turn out. There's some lament here. There's some being seen here. This the servant says in the or is saying that in the midst of these very real, present and painful emotions, they're trying to decide and discern and to figure out how to process and move forward. And at the end of the second part, that the it's Isaiah writing as this servant says, "Yet what is due me?" In the Lord's hand, what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. That shifts us into this third part, that even though this servant has worked without result, it's kind of vague, so you can almost read it as they've been trying and trying, and nothing works. Or you can read it that they totally just fell apart and they just messed it all up. No matter what, the servant is reminded, remembers their call. The servant remembers not what they did or did not do, how successful or unsuccessful they were. The servant remembers who she or he is and where their identity or loyalty lies. The servant says, surely my cause is with the Lord and my reward is with God. I had a, another conversation. It was a really fruitful dad kid week this week. This is what happens when you stick around that long, I guess sitting with one of my kids and they were making um, a lantern. We were going to a lantern festival and we were cutting out paper and doing this whole thing and it, it just didn't turn out well. It kind of fell apart and it was broken and, and they were wrecked. They just cried and cried and we had this conversation and I said, would you like to try again? And they said, I don't know if I want to fail again. I know that feeling. I know that feeling. In that moment, I saw way more of myself in them than I want to admit. I think there's this feeling in us that if we don't get it right on the first try, then we might as well just give up that there's not quite enough grace to help us go again or again. 
that if we don't do it right the first time, God must be as frustrated with me as I am with myself. But the servants in Isaiah reminds us that's not true. And not only is it not true, that even after we come to this realization, we've done everything out of vanity and we've spun our wheels and we've screwed it all up, that we can still rest in God and we can still find our reward in God. God hasn't just called us to do something for him. God has called us to be with him. What a gift. This leads us to the fourth piece. This remembering, uh, as one scholar says, reinvigorates the calling of the servant. What what happens when you experience grace in your darkest moment? When somebody sees you for who you actually are, not this really great facade or image we can paint on our face, but like sees you and they say, I love you and I still believe in you. It moves you to action. I mean, this is the cornerstone of 12-step groups. To come to a place, to be honest about yourself, to receive love in return, which motivates you to go out and continue fighting, struggling, moving towards a place of health. The, The servant experiences something like this. I was made in the image of God. I was called for a purpose. I didn't do so well. And yet I can still find my place and my solid footing identity in God, which is propelling me out, not in legalism, but in safety, knowing that God is calling me forward and I am secure in God. This isn't just the experience of the servants, is it? This is the experience of all of us. This is the human story. What does it mean to us as followers of Jesus? I love, there's a scholar by the name of Stephanie Paulson. She talks about it this way. She says, the vocation to which God first calls you seems to say that God is saying, my first call is not everything I want from you. And the servant's own return to God, a larger vocation is given. A larger calling is given. Shine as a light to all Nations, so that there is nowhere my salvation does not reach. 
all of life is your business. God sings to the servant every nation, every person, every light. This last thing I'm going to say. Part of what we believe, and it's one of the great lies of the Christian faith, is that we best serve God in our successes. And there is some purpose and some good that comes when we do things right. But we serve God more fully and more beautifully in the aftermath of our failures. When God's grace shines brightest, when we are most secure and loved, we can do about anything. It transforms how we live. It impacts how other people see us. They can see something is different in us. I was once talking to a, we'll call him an old wise sage. His name was Father Tom. I met with him for a lot of years uh, early in my time here. He's a spiritual director for me. But I was, we were kind of going back and forth about holy people. <laughs> that sounds way too important. I was talking to him about why some people are, they, they, they talk about, I'll be careful. I was complaining that there are often so many leaders who should be holy, but they aren't. Their holiness is mostly attached to their ability to wield power. But then I was saying, but then there are other people uh, who have no power. They, they have no real influence. And yet you talk to them and it's like um, there's a gravity around them that when they speak, you know it's true. And I said, what gives? <laughs> Why is this the case? And some paraphrase because I'm absolutely terrible at recounting word for word conversations. But he basically said to me this. He says, the ones who are willing to die and to acknowledge their failure and allow God to meet it and who live out of that place are the ones you experience who are full of gravity and love and peace and who change the world. And the ones who will not accept their failure and instead fight to climb the ladder, they're the ones who use power, who manipulate <clears throat> control, and who eventually often flame out. They're the ones who hurt other people. This is what the servant is showing us, is that the journey for all of us is the journey to acknowledging our failure, but doing so in the light that God formed us, loves us, and still calls us. And I think, at least it is for me, that is good news indeed.